G'day all and welcome back to a very special episode of Glory Days where we go right back to the start of the Aubrey Football Club's journey in the Ovens Murray Football League as part of our Tiger Tales episodes. We'll take a look at Aubrey's first three premierships from foundation in 1893 of the Ovens Murray Football Association to the end of competition due to World War I. A huge thanks again to the Joss family for making it all possible. It all started with men sporting woolly beards and carefully waxed moustaches. That was the look in 1893 when the Ovens and Murray Football Association under President John Dodsworth and Secretary Tom Hishon began the competition. They had teams from Rutherglen, Beechworth Wanderers, Wangaratta West End, Wangaratta City, Chilton and El Dorado. Players of that era wore two-toned striped cap, a lace-up jersey with short sleeves and a contrasting yoke. Football pants came to below the knees, worn over long socks, and the football boots were laced up almost to the knees. Both Aubrey and Border United were admitted to the Ovens and Murray Football Association in 1895. The eight clubs forming the association were Rutherglen, Aubrey, Beechworth, Border United, United Miners, Lilliput, Chilton and Wangaratta. Aubrey lost its first match in the Ovens and Murray against reigning Premier's Beechworth Wanderers played in Aubrey on May the 4th, 1895. While Aubrey were competitive, it was Rutherglen and Beechworth the dominant sides. It was common for teams to withdraw and then re-enter the league in initial years, with Aubrey after being runners-up to Rutherglen in 1899, withdrawing the following year in 1900. Some of the players in the 1899 side included Frank Blacklock, Bishop Murray, Harry Graham, Tiny Matthews, Horace Middleton, Jack Trelora, Ali Bice, Bill Shortle, Joey Trapoid, Matt Hanlon, Muck Wallace, Albie Barber, Fred Burrows, Billy Frew, Maliki O'Donnell, Dick Wallace, Dick Johnson, and Joker Hall, who was famous for taking the field with a felt hat to cover the few precious hairs left on his head. Aubrey rejoined the Ovens and Murray Football Association in 1901 almost pulling off a stunning grand final win, losing to Rutherglen 49-46, despite having seven more scoring shots. The heartache of two grand final losses to Rutherglen in 1899 and 1901 was to be repaired when in 1902, Aubrey won its first ever Ovens and Murray Football Association Premiership. A snapshot of what was happening in Australia in 1902 well, Australia became the first country in the world to grant white women both the right to vote and to stand for election as the population approached four million people. The number one song in Australia was Tell Me Pretty Maiden. The Prime Minister was Edmund Barton, whose government introduced compulsory education for children aged 6 to 14. The Australian continent was experiencing a severe dry spell with large parts of the land not experiencing any rain in the first four months. The Mayor of Albury was Walter J. Bilson. The makeup of the Ovens and Murray Football Association in 1902 included seven teams Albury, Border, Rutherglen, Wangaratta, Beechworth, Southern, and Chilton. Albury wore black and gold colours. Aubrey started the season with a home game at the Aubrey Sports Ground against Corowa Bay side Border. Matt Hanlon was elected captain 
with his vice-captain, Eddie Dunn. The cost to use the sports ground was £3 and had to be paid on the Wednesday before the game. Albury Tigers historian Patrick Mangan speaks about Matt Hanlon. Now, in 1902, they finished on top of the ladder, so they didn't have to actually play a match in a grand final. It was only when the points were, were equal, as you'll see in 1908, they had to play a match. So 1902, uh, they won, and uh, uh, they had an interesting team. Obviously, they played great football, uh, and, and they obviously had played pretty well in that year. The captain of the team was a guy called Matt Hanlon. I bumped into uh, and spoken to one of his granddaughters, and he was he had... Uh, 11 children, and so a number of them uh, played football as well. And uh, I'm just doing a bit more family history about that, but it's just interesting to see quite often there are family connections, uh, people who played initially, uh, and it's come down through the years that, you know, different people played. So uh, different relatives played, which is quite interesting. The season started in great fashion, with Aubrey, despite being wayward at the gold front, beating Border easily by 53 points, 6.25-61 to 1.28. Captain Matt Hanlon left the ground with an ankle injury and player Thurgood was called away, leaving the home side two men short for most of the second half. Aubrey had the bye in round two and after much confusion at a pre-season delegates meeting, Rutherglen were admitted back into the league after a rogue delegate had earlier announced the club were not entering the association. A new draw was made and Rutherglen resumed hostilities. Over the next two rounds, as the Boer War conflict ended in South Africa, Aubrey easily accounted for Southern and Beechworth by 29 points and 59 points respectively to remain unbeaten. Aubrey found solid opposition for the trip to Wangaratta with a four goal second quarter proving the difference in the 28 point with Conrad Tenbrink Jr. and Eddie Dunn the best. The Ten Brink family came to Albury from Smythedale. Conrad Ten Brink's father was also named Conrad and served as mayor of Albury twice, 1898 and 1906. His father also ran the Globe Hotel in Albury for three years. Ten Brink Jr.'s football ability at Albury was recognised by Essendon when he was recruited for the 1898 season where he played 12 matches including the grand final loss to Fitzroy. After one season, he returned to Aubrey. Another member of the 1902 side, Arthur Percy, played two games for South Melbourne in 1904. The bad blood between Aubrey and Rutherglen flared up in round six when Rutherglen forfeited to Aubrey, wiring through the decision just three hours before the game was scheduled to start in Aubrey. Aubrey took the win and top place on the ladder. The feud between the two clubs arose the previous year when Rutherglen claimed it was owed gate takings from the final match of the year at Albury. The Rutherglen delegate at the meeting prior to the commencement of the 1902 season left the room in protest without nominating Rutherglen to play the 1902 season. After it was voted Albury did not owe Rutherglen money from the gate. When word filtered back to Rutherglen, that they had been left out of the draw, they called an emergency meeting that resulted in the rogue delegate resigning and the club nominating for the 1902 season. They were admitted and given a round one bye. Patrick Mangan spoke about the rivalry. And not only was Albury Football Club in a state of flux, so were associations in the area where teams could play. And as you said correctly, the Ovens and Murray Football Association was commenced in 1893 
but it only had a Victorian team. So 1895, people um, at Rutherglen, for example, were very keen for stronger teams from New South Wales, uh, like uh, Albury and Chilton, to join. And so that's what happened. So their first foray into the Ovens of Murray was in 1895. The 1890s were really, from then on, were really the realm of the Rutherglen Football Club. And, uh, and there's always been great rivalry between, especially in the early days, between those two football clubs. To complete the first round of home and away matches, Aubrey travelled to Chilton via a specially chartered train. With over 150 supporters witnessing a titanic struggle with Aubrey prevailing by seven points despite having 12 more scoring shots. The win by Aubrey and a shock loss for Border to Wangaratta meant Aubrey led the Premiership race by two wins. In the other match, Beechworth forfeited to Rutherglen. To start the second round of home and away matches, unbeaten Aubrey made the trip down the Murray to Corowa to take on second place Border. With Aubrey two games clear on top, a win to Aubrey would leave them in a very strong position to claim its first ever Ovens and Murray Premiership, with no grand final played unless the two top teams were level on points at season's end. The local Corowa Town Band entertained patrons throughout the afternoon, played in front of a huge crowd that paid £15 at the gate. Local business houses were instructed to shut early, get out of the ground and support the locals. There was drama pre-game when umpire Anderson was a late withdrawal, creating a coin toss to decide who would umpire the game. After much discussion, it was decided Ken Sewell of Corowa would umpire the first half and Ranji Phillips from Aubrey the second. After an even first half, Aubrey kept Border scoreless in the third quarter to set up a comfortable 29-point win with Ryan, Stead, Shane and Dunn the best. The win put Aubrey three games clear of Border, Wangaratta and Beechworth all level on 16 points. After the bye, Aubrey, led by Eddie Dunn, Ryan, Doughton, Barber and Shane, hammered Southern with 32 scoring shots to three, winning by 69 points. Eddie Dunn, or Diver as he was known, went on to play one game for St Kilda in the 1905 season before moving to Western Australia, where he played 44 games for South Fremantle and represented Western Australia. Then he moved to South Australia, where in a 54-game stint represented South Australia at the National Carnival. The following week, the Premiership race was given a lifeline when Aubrey travelled to Barmufa Park Beechworth and were beaten by nine points after the locals had kicked the first three goals of the game. Border failed to take advantage of the Aubrey loss when they were beaten by Southern. The season started to wane for several clubs with the next round of matches seeing Wangaratta forfeit to Aubrey and Border winning on a forfeit over Beechworth just a week after Beechworth had beaten Premiership favourite Aubrey. Just days later, Beechworth informed the league due to player shortage they would be disbanding for the remainder of the 1902 season. The Aubrey versus Wangaratta clash was scheduled for Wednesday afternoon. It did not take place with Wangaratta forfeiting to Aubrey and virtually confirming Aubrey as the 1902 Premiers. With two rounds remaining, Aubrey could not be caught and with this in mind, decided to forfeit its return match away to Rutherglen an obvious response to Rutherglen forfeiting to Aubrey's home game earlier in the season. They just didn't like each other in those days. However, before Aubrey were crowned premiers, they had to await the outcome of two protests that Border had lodged with the association. 
If both protests were successful, that would leave Aubrey and Border level on 40 points. The first protest was a success for Border against Southern. However, due to an illness to the principal witness, the protest against the Wangaratta game meant that the case was dismissed, leaving Aubrey one game clear and 1,902 premiers. It's first in the Ovens and Murray Football Association. The Aubrey 1,902 premiership side was Matt Hanlon, captain, Jim Matthews, Joey Trapoli, Albert Barber, Billy Frew, Dick Johnson, Diver Dunn, Charlie and Claude Griffiths, Bigley Heffernan, Arthur Percy, Jim Delaney, Fred Powell, Sky Lipset, H. Stead, Conrad Ten Brink, W. Shane, C. Dale, and Jim Henderson. Remarkably, the following year, Aubrey exited the Ovens and Murray Association and ceased to exist, with only five teams lining up in the 1903 season, then just four in 1904. In 1905, there was still no Aubrey club in the Ovens and Murray, but three senior clubs based in Aubrey, Imperials, Pirates and Federal City, comprised the Border Association, with Wodonga being admitted for the 1906 season. A Wednesday half-holiday association was formed as well in 1906. In April 1907, the president of the Border Association and Mayor of Aubrey, Alfred War, along with Bill Delaney and others called a meeting to reform Aubrey and re-enter the Ovens and Murray Football Association. The Ovens and Murray Football Association, keen to keep the competition going, successfully approached Wangaratta and Beechworth to also rejoin along with Aubrey. For only the second time in the association's history, the first year was 1897, a grand final playoff was required in 1907. Aubrey and Rutherglen, the dominant teams all season, played off before a huge crowd at the Aubrey Sports Ground, with Rutherglen winning by 28 points. This was to set up another titanic clash between the same two teams in the 1908 decider, with Aubrey taking revenge and its second premiership, and this is how they achieved it. So what was happening in Australia in 1908? Alfred Deakin was Prime Minister. Australia had regained the ashes over England. Lord Nolan won the Melbourne Cup. South Sydney were the first ever winners of the New South Wales Rugby League, now the NRL. And Carlton won the VFL Premiership. The 1908 Olympic Games in London had Australia and New Zealand join forces to compete as Australasia. While the number one song was Take Me Out to the Ball Game while famous Australians born in 1908 included Don Bradman and Harold Holt. The 1908 season commenced on May 30th with six teams comprising the Ovens and Murray Football Association. Wagunya, Rutherglen, Excelsior, Aubrey, Chilton and Corowa. Aubrey's team had three players who would play at VFL level, with forward Peter McCann having played at South Melbourne and Essendon prior to the 1908 season. Centre-half forward Sid Wright played at South Melbourne in 1904, while defender Les Fraunfelder played with Richmond in 1910. Aubrey appointed Bud Adamson as captain and were home to Excelsior in round one. So just who were Excelsior? They were formed in 1896. They were a team made up of miners from the Prentice Freehold Mine near Rutherglen, 
seeking fortune like so many others at the time. Aubrey had little trouble in sweeping the undermanned miners, winning 17.25-127 to 4.529. In round two, Aubrey made the trip to Corowa and won a tight contest, 5.14 to Corowa's 4.6. The Aubrey team were entertained at a dinner at the Royal Hotel, then adjourned to the Australian Hotel before attending a dance at the Goodfellas Hall, staying overnight and departing back to Aubrey on Sunday morning. The much-anticipated grand final replay at Rutherglen was an anti-climax, with the game being postponed due to the amount of rain. The game was rescheduled to July the 4th, after the completion of the first round of home and away matches and prior to the commencement of the second round. In round four, despite further heavy rain, Aubrey proved too strong for Chilton, winning by 69 points, and then the following week thumped Wagunya by 101 points. Next up was the rescheduled round three match between the two unbeaten sides, Rutherglen and Aubrey at Rutherglen. In a high standard clash, it was Aubrey who claimed ladder leadership, beating the Glen by 14 points. Aubrey had trailed by one point at the last change in front of a huge crowd at Barclay Park, Rutherglen, but managed to keep the home side scoreless in the final quarter to take victory. So at the halfway point of the 1908 season, Aubrey led Rutherglen by a game with Corowa and Excelsior a further game and a half behind Rutherglen. Aubrey was forced to work overtime to beat an inaccurate Excelsior at the Miners' home ground. The home side had more scoring shots but lost by 14 points. The following week, Aubrey were to host Corowa. However, heavy rain made travel too dangerous and the match was rescheduled to be played at the end of the final round on August the 15th. Next up was a blockbuster return bout between Aubrey and Rutherglen. Such was the interest, a special train was run from Rutherglen for the game, with a crowd of over 1,500 spectators being treated to one of the finest ever matches in the association's history. Aubrey led by six points at both quarter time and half time. Rutherglen were able to level the scores at 35 apiece by three-quarter time. Rutherglen repeated what Aubrey did to them in the earlier game in the season by storming home in the final quarter to win by 14 points. Perhaps the lads had celebrated at Mrs Egan's, as Patrick Mangan explains. There was a place called Egan's Coffee Palace and it had been taken over um, by a Mrs Egan and uh, she advertised hot, cold showers and baths with meals at all hours. And it doesn't take much imagination to understand that that uh, facility was a little more than a coffee. But anyway, um, it's just <laughs> the language that is used in that is just a good example of that, I think. Despite sending an inexperienced side down the highway, the yellow and black bounced back the following week to beat bottom side Chilton by 55 points. At a delegates meeting held, it was decided that it was most likely a playoff to decide the premiership would be required, with both Aubrey and Rutherglen unlikely to lose again, meaning they both would finish the season with nine wins and a loss. A draw out of the hat was conducted, with Aubrey being the lucky winner and the home ground advantage should a grand final be required. The final round of matches almost decided the premiership. Aubrey is expected proved too strong for Wagunya, winning by 28 points. The local derby between Corowa and Rutherglen was heading for a huge upset when Corowa led Rutherglen at three-quarter time. 
before a big last quarter kept Rutherglen's season alive with a 15-point win. All that was left to finish the season was the rescheduled game between Aubrey and Corowa. The equation was simple for Aubrey, win and they host Rutherglen the following week at home in the Premiership playoff. Lose and Rutherglen would finish one game clear on top and Premiers. With their season on the line, Aubrey were in no mood for an upset as they played a brilliant brand of football to hammer Corowa 145-32 and set up a mouth-watering grand final clash at the Aubrey Sports Ground the following Saturday against Rutherglen. The game was played before a large crowd with gate takings over 46 pounds being described as the most exciting sporting battle played at the ground with both teams having victory in their grasp. Rutherglen, kicking to the Norial Park end, started brilliantly, kicking 4-2 to Aubrey 2-1 to lead by 13 points at quarter time. Aubrey, courtesy of accurate goal kicking, took the lead by two points at halftime after kicking three straight to three behinds in a rugged and bruising second term that had the 1,500 spectators enthralled, throwing hats into the air to celebrate each Aubrey goal. Aubrey kicked another four goals in the third term and were leading by 14 points late in the quarter before a late Rutherglen goal in the dying seconds reduced the margin to eight points at the last change. In a thrilling last quarter, it was Rutherglen, the defending premiers, who looked to have the game won when they kicked the first two goals of the quarter to lead by four points late in the game. With time running out, Aubrey captain, Bud Adamson took a strong mark and drilled his fifth goal with a magnificent rugby-style place kick to put Aubrey back in front by two points. Less than a minute later, with Rutherglen attacking and Aubrey supporters praying, the final bell rang to give Aubrey its second premiership in the Ovens Murray Football Association, 10-4-64 to Rutherglen, 9-8-62 to complete what was described at the time as the greatest grand final in the association's history. Aubrey supporters rushed onto the ground and carried some of the players off the ground, shoulder high, to the dressing rooms as the town band played, See the Conquering Heroes Come. Best for Aubrey were Bud Adamson, Windsor, Snowy Lewis, Walder, Wilkinson, Burns, Cochrane and F. Wilson. Adamson kicked five goals with Cochrane and Hoisted two each. Aubrey historian Patrick Mangan recalls the recent discovery of that Premiership Cup. So 1908 was another uh, piece of Premiership glory for Aubrey. And in our exhibition last year, we had uh, a picture of that team on the lap of the captain who was um, Adam Adamson. We ha- There's a lovely trophy, about um, 30 centimetres high, 300 mil high. Anyway, I was at the Aubrey Football Club one day just waiting for an interview person to turn up and I found they had a trophy cabinet and I had a bit of a look through there. And at the back, in the back corner, was this tarnished trophy. So I pulled it out, and would you believe it was the actual 1908 trophy. So I took it home and used some silvo and shot it up in about 10 minutes. And then I was able to go back to the library where the exhibition was on. Um, I've got a deal for you. I've got the trophy that's shown sitting on the captain's lap in 1908. About 115 years later, I did the actual uh, one of the trophies. The other one is owned by the council. Yeah, so which is interesting. The 1908 Aubrey Premiership side was, from the back line, Dolphin, Haig, Les Fronfelder, halfbacks, Walder, Maloney, Snowy Lewis, centre line, Burt, Wilkinson, Byrne, half forward line, Adamson, Sidwright, Peter McCann, forward line, Cochrane, 
Hoisted, T. McCann, Rux, Windsor, Leonard and Wilson. In 1913, Australians were optimistic about its future and full of adulation for its sporting heroes and teams, including cricketer Vic Trumper and the legendary Snowy Baker, who represented Australia in more than 10 sports, including three at the London Olympics of 1948. Fitzroy won the VFL Premiership and Eastern Suburbs, a third straight New South Wales Rugby League Premiership. Australia's first Navy flagship, HMAS Australia, was commissioned in Portsmouth, England, and sailed to Australia. Andrew Fisher was voted out as Prime Minister in June and replaced by Joseph Cook. So after the Premiership success of 1908, Albury were runners-up the following year with Rutherglen, storming to their ninth Premiership since foundation in 1893. Rutherglen won a playoff 10-10-70 to 5-7-37. Rutherglen, again, were Premiers in 1910, finishing clear on top with no playoff required. Aubrey and Excelsior were equal second, three games behind. There were some big decisions made in 1911, with the first change being a different name of the league, being voted in that the name of the league be changed from the Ovens and Murray Football Association to the Rutherglen and District Association. The second decision decided that Aubrey and Rutherglen would be barred from the new association because of the strength of both teams. Both clubs were allowed back in one year later for the 1912 Rutherglen and District Association. Once again, it would be Rutherglen and Aubrey meeting in the grand final playoff. And once again, it was Rutherglen who won a tight match by six points. Aubrey appointed Charles Waterstreet as captain for 1913. Waterstreet would go on to be one of Aubrey's most prominent sporting identities and a major contributor to charities and fundraising in Aubrey before his untimely death aged just 51, leaving behind six young children and his wife Mary, who would in later years become one of Aubrey's best-known publicans and vocalists. The 1913 season commenced on May 24. Aubrey were to play how long? However, the home club, short on players, were forced to forfeit. The following week's matches were rescheduled due to heavy rain across the district. How long had decided to disband for the remainder of the season? Aubrey went into round three at Rutherglen against the defending Premiers without a game under its belt. Despite having more scoring shots, Aubrey were beaten by 12 points before a big crowd, 6-5 to 3 goals 11. A special train was chartered from Corowa for the trip to the Aubrey Sports Ground, where a huge crowd witnessed Aubrey win its first game for the 1913 season. Bordy United had led at quarter time before the local team worked its way back into the game to draw level at three-quarter time. Aubrey's better accuracy prevailed, winning by 11 points, kicking the only two goals of the last term, with Cox, Hoisted and George Eames the best. Eames, great-grandson Morris, himself an Aubrey footballer, spoke about his family connection at the club. Dad's grandfather played in it, George Eames. Old George Eames played in the 1913 grand final with Aubrey. So that's how long the association of the Eames family. George bred nine brothers, our beautiful wife, Joanna. They come out of, uh, you couldn't get any uh, further down south in Townsend Street. You went down as far as Townsend Street and you're running to Atkins Street and around the corner. That's where the Eames boys were born and bred, nine of them. Across the road from was Oddie's Creek, and there was a bit of a saying back in the day, in the Aubrey day, that the further south you went, the tougher you got. Well, you couldn't get any uh, further south than bloody 
where these Eames boys grew up unless you went across the river in Inwadonga and not so much old George and that, but you know, some old stories from, you know, teams that have, you know, that uh, followed them, you know, blokes like the Briggses and so forth. And I reckon they would have been the same, you know. They carried their footy gear and I think they had a long neck in there at the same time and probably knocked over a long neck before they ran, ran out on the ground. Because if you look at that team, uh, the 1913 team, mate, you've got Charles Waterstreets. Well, you know, there's a bit of history there in the local hotel industry in Albury. Um, you know, Waterstreets Hotel, the Pastoral, that's family there. Uh, you've got James Simpson. Pretty sure that uh, did Simpson's father, um, and he went off to the war and so forth. And Reuben Rickson, well, he'd be a uh, relation to Gav Rickson and Steve Rickson. There's a few in there. The Hoister, there's a Hoister in there. That's a very well-known Albury name as well. Uh, the Jones, Cox family. Oh, and Bill Strang. Young Bill Strang used to um, give me a number one crew cut down in Townsend Street, mate, in his barber shop. That Strang name still runs around at Albury now. He's young. His great-great-great-grandson played in the under-14 junior grand final this year at full forward there. Young Strang did, yeah. Uh, Uncle Jack, he went on and played at Richmond with Jack Dyer. So Jack Eames, um, very well-known man with Wodonga, coach Wodonga and Morris medalist and so forth. But Uncle Jack got courted to go down to the VFL back in the day and Richmond got him down there. I think he had an interview of Hawthorne. It might have been Carlton or Melbourne, but it virtually come down to uh, the offerings that were on the table, and it wasn't cash. I think morning tea might have been at Hawthorne, and, you know, might have been a bloody old, you know, dried-up scone. Afternoon tea, wherever he went, might have been at Carlton, not much there, but he they had lunch at Richmond, and there was a bloody steak on the menu, you know, at lunchtime, and Uncle Jack <laughs> thought, well, if these blokes can afford rump steak, it, that will be me. So he went to, and played at Richmond in the Jack Jack Dyer era and then came back and coached Wodonga successfully. And uh, Uncle Frank, he was the youngest out of the nine boys. I reckon he might have had an inkling wanting to play at Aubrey, but probably listened to his older brother and followed him across the river and played over at Wodonga. Uncle Dave, he was more of an umpire and, and a fight referee, but they his nickname was Mirror. The story goes that when he used to run past the puddle when he was umpiring, he used to look at himself to see the <laughs> reflection of himself, to see how well-dressed he was. Mick, the uh, famous undertaker from Holbrook, he coached Holbrook. Yeah, those things, boys, were you know, pretty sporty. Down the bottom end of Townsend Street, there was only one streetlight, and the story goes that they were all into boxing and so forth, and so they set themselves up a boxing ring underneath the streetlight down there in Townsend Street. Yeah, great-grandfather George had the brick pits down South Albury, so... I used to dig wells and that and dig the clay out and make bloody handmade bricks down there and so forth. Yeah, so, you know, pretty hard going. But um, old Joanna, old great, great Nanim, she she bred the nine boys. They virtually slept in a sloop out down there and I reckon she could hear them coming from the top end of Dean Street. They called it the South Albury Beacon and then that flowed on to uh, my grandmother, Frida. She was about the South Albury Beacon. She knew things what were going on in Albury were longer before anyone knew it. Yeah, so, yeah, a bit of history there with the Eameses, mate, yeah. Next up, Aubrey were away to Lake Rovers, who started in style with a three goal to nothing first quarter. Aubrey chipped away at the deficit to be one point behind at the last change. In a thrilling finish, Aubrey kicked two late goals in a five point win, with Hoisted, Cox, Wilson, Haslam, and James Simpson the best. Simpson was well known for his courage on the field and would, a few years later, show the same bravery in the fields of World War I as Patrick Magnan explains. 
So James Simpson was a teacher at what was Aubrey Grammar School, which is now a co-ed school, Scott School. He was being groomed to be the next principal. He had already worked in, in setting up some, I guess, Army Reserve teams around the area. And so when the first uh, World War was declared, um, he en enlisted along with a lot of his men that he'd, he'd been coaching and mentoring. He ended up being sent to Gallipoli and he landed at Gallipoli on April 26, 1915 and took some photographs of the landing, which you weren't supposed to do, but he did. He managed to get him and some of his team up quite high on the uh, very steep uh, hills and mountains that they were climbing. And he he committed some acts of bravery and was awarded a, a military cross after that. He sadly was injured uh, and uh, had, and uh, didn't recover and had to be sent. He sent to a hospital in Malta for a start. Then he was sent to some hospitals in England. And there was a, probably what they now call PTSD, probably a case of, uh, I guess, from, uh, I guess, just the experience, which is now, uh, you know, people are now aware that it's a mental condition. He had received some treatment. He was then sent home to Aubrey for 12 months to recover. But after five months, uh, he was recovering pretty well and he was very keen to get back to commanding his men because by now he was a lieutenant. And so he went back and uh, served uh, in France, sadly, in uh, he was sent about November 1916. He was sent across to Le Havre, a main port in France, and was in the area uh, called Armentaires. And sadly, on January 21, 1917, a shell exploded in the trench. He was in with his other lieutenant and two batmen, and they were all sadly killed. At the time of his sad death, his son, his only son, was um, Halliday or Did Simpson. And Did Simpson, as uh, most people in Aubrey will know, has contributed a lot to both the Ummans and Murray Football and Nepal League and also to the Aubrey Tigers, a life member and a Hall of Famer in each of those organisations. I'm related to him because one of my dad's sisters, Kath Mangan, actually married Did Simpson. Yeah, so James Simpson's only son is the great Did Simpson, who we know so well connected to the Football League. So James Simpson was had played football early on. He was born in Pasco Vale, but then the family moved to Geelong, so he played tennis and football down in that area. And when he came up in 1904 to Albury, he obviously was quite a good sportsman in football and cricket. In 1912, he was actually playing for Albury Tigers. There was an incident in the third quarter uh, of a match when they were playing Rutherglen, and uh, he, he broke his uh, collarbone. The report says, once again, interesting language, he, however, pluckily kept in the field until the end of play when he consulted a doctor. Up to the time of the accident, Mr. Simpson had played a clever, plucky game. Great sympathy was felt for him by all supporters of the game. I put that in his biography because, uh, and the front cover of the biography has a picture of him holding a football wearing number nine, the Aubrey Tigers uniform at the time. That was, and I guess that courage shone through when he went to Gallipoli eventually in uh, 1915, 1916. So, yes. The rescheduled Round 2 match saw Aubrey hammer Baldale, kicking a huge score in front of a contented home crowd. Aubrey kicked 21-22 to Baldale's three goals four. With five players, Nathan, McInerney, McDonald, Waterstreet and Cox all kicking three goals. So at the halfway point of the season, Rutherglen led the ladder, a game ahead of Aubrey with Corowa, or Border United, a further game back. After a bye to start the second round of matches, Aubrey played Baldale and found the home side a much stronger opponent on its home turf, with Aubrey winning by 25 points, compared to the 21-goal route a fortnight previous. So there's a classic photograph that actually appeared in 1938 paper, and it was again reproduced in the Border Mail this year. 
uh, of the Albury Premiership team. And they're sitting on a large, looks like a, an elongated uterine, elongated small truck, which I think was called a Cheviot. And it was provided by Fred Blacklock, later became Blacklock Motors. That photo, which is obviously in the book, shows uh, the whole team and it, it identifies the people in the team. It's quite a good photo in front of um, the Globe Hotel, which people in Albury would know where that was located. They've actually renovated that building now and have a Globe circulating all of the time on top of it, which is interesting. They were on their way to play Bordeaux in a match because Bordeaux were in the league at that time. So there's a great there's a great photo. So it just goes to show that there are photos around, archival photos around that are worth uh, talking about. The much-anticipated return bout between Rutherglen and Albury drew a large crowd to the Aubrey Sports Ground, where the home side turned on its best performance of the season, conceding just one goal to run out 29-point winners and draw level with Rutherglen at the top of the table. Wilson, Waterstreet, Simpson, Larkins and Rue Brixen starred for Aubrey, keeping Rutherglen goalless in the final three quarters in slippery conditions to become the new Premiership favourite. Umpire Pritchard, a modern-day Razor Ray Chamberlain, was at his theatrical best, raising his hat and bowing to supporters when hooted for his decisions. Despite his antics, Pritchard has been dubbed as one of the finest ever umpires in the association. Aubrey chartered a special train for its players and supporters for the game at Corowa. A tough encounter was anticipated and didn't disappoint as a large home crowd was stunned when the visitors kicked four goals five to one point in a brilliant first term. Border United hit back, keeping Aubrey scoreless in the second term, but could not bridge the gap as Aubrey ran out winners by 10 points. Another special train left Rutherglen, with Lake Rovers players and supporters on board for the clash with the top of the table Aubrey at the Aubrey Sports Ground in the final match before semi-finals. The Rovers were sent home pondering a big defeat, as an ominous looking Aubrey won 17-17-119 to the Rovers 6-7-43, to finish minor premiers, a huge advantage in the final structure of the day. In week one of finals, it was second place Rubber Glen taking on fourth place Lake Rovers. The Glen kept its season alive with a hard fought 10 point win in windy conditions. This meant in week two of the finals at Barclay Park Rubber Glen, as minor premiers, Aubrey could, by beating third place Corowa, take out the 1913 premiership, a loss and they would, as minor premiers, have the right to challenge the winner of the preliminary final. In a stunning upset, Corowa came from 13 points down at quarter time to beat Aubrey by 12 points. Both sides kicked three goals in the last quarter that had the huge crowd on its feet. The result meant that Corowa and Rutherglen would play the following Saturday, with the winner to take on Aubrey, who, as minor premier, exercised the right to challenge the winner for the premiership. Once again, it would be a Rubber Glen and Aubrey Grand Final after the Glen defeated Corowa by five points in a thrilling preliminary final where they kicked the last two goals of the game to snatch victory. Aubrey, as minor premiers, also had the home ground advantage for the Grand Final and would, for the seventh time, take on Rubber Glen in a Grand Final decider. Rubber Glen, the previous year, had beaten Aubrey by six points in the Grand Final. Aubrey's preparation for the grand final included a practice match at Beechworth, where the locals won comfortably by 50 points. Rutherglen had a large army of supporters travel by train to Aubrey at a fare of five shillings. 
In a huge boost for Aubrey, Bill Strang, who each week travelled to Melbourne to play for South Melbourne, had the misfortune to miss his train and was slotted into the Aubrey team on permit. Strang had played 15 matches for South Melbourne that year and had kicked 29 goals. Strang would go on to be the best player of field, kicking three goals and then took four saving marks in the last quarter when sent into defence. Strang had earlier in the final quarter kicked two goals to stretch the Aubrey lead to 15 points. This was the one and only match Strang played for Aubrey in the 1913 season. The game was on a nice edge throughout, with Rutherglen leading a quarter time by nine points and then just two points at half time. Aubrey, with goals to Rue Brixen and Strang, led at the last change by four points. In a frenetic final term, Aubrey hung on to win by eight points and claim its third premiership since joining the Ovens Murray Football Association. With the final score, Aubrey 7-6-48, Rutherglen 5-10-40. Aubrey's best players listed were Bill Strang, S. Bertles, Wilson, Charlie Waterstreet, George Eames in defence, Hayward, Cox, James Simpson, McInerney and Haslam. The name Strang became synonymous in the Ovens Murray Football League in decades to come, with the leading goal kicker in the Ovens Murray Football League awarded the Doug Strang Medal, as Patrick Mangan explains. People would probably know a bit more about a, a couple of his sons who were Doug and Gordon, and they ended up uh, playing in the 1940 Grand Final. Doug was captain of Aubrey and Gordon was captain of Wodonga. I just wanted to also point out, Bill Strang actually, after that game, like James Simpson, served uh, for the Australian country, and he served in the Army. So he went to France, he enlisted and served overseas in the 56th Battalion Depot. Uh, he was discharged as, uh, inverted commas, medically unfit in August 1916. I think I know what that means, but just, just leave it at that, medically unfit. We don't say why. He then re-enlisted in January 1917 and served in the first light horse ambulance, Egypt. Wow. And he was discharged in December 1917. He'd married a Francis Eleanor Collins in 1905, and he had four sons who all played senior football in the BFL. Doug, as I've talked about, Gordon, and there's another son called Colin, who played with St Kilda, and Alan, who played with South Melbourne. And then, uh, coming to the next generation, Jeff Strang, uh, has played for Aubrey. There'll be more about the Strang family in future Tiger Tales episodes. The 1913 Aubrey Premiership side was Charles Waterstreet, Captain, James Simpson, Haywood Wilson, George Eames, Oakes, Rube Brixen, Len McInerney, Sam Bertles, Joe Hoisted, Cox, Joseph Mansfield, Mick Larkins, Viner Jones, Ern McDonald, Bill Howes, Haslam and Bill Strang. Rutherglen took out the next two premierships with the 1915 season being the last for four years as World War I gripped communities right across the globe into a sporting lockdown. 14 Aubrey footballers served and another five enlisted during World War I with seven paying the ultimate sacrifice. We remember those men, James Simpson, George Groom, Joseph Mansfield, C.P. Phibbs, Norman MacDonald, Alex Jackson, and Maynard Wilkinson. Well, there you have it. A look back at the first three premierships won by Aubrey in the Ovens and Murray, where names synonymous to both Aubrey and the league were emerging and the start of a great history in local football. 
A huge thank you to the Joss family for making it all possible. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and we look forward to your company next time on Glory Days.